Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. And if you think, well, that can't happen to me, it's because you haven't put into practice the basic fundamental steps that makes a dynamic marriage and a marriage that sizzles. Now, if you want to stay like you are, don't pay any attention to it. Just surrender. I'm content just to hang in there and stay with her. I'm going to stay with him through thick and my glory. The laws and the principles of God about marriage work every single time. The truth is God gave us a proven model for a healthy marriage. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Intimacy, and explores how Adam and Eve can show you how to have a sizzling marriage. That's coming up in just a moment on The Winning Walk. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Intimacy. In our culture, I think we all know that marriage is in trouble. The Bible begins with marriage in Genesis chapter 2. We know that Genesis 1 is an account of creation. Genesis 2 is a commentary, an explanation of chapter 1, which dealt with creation. We read in the Bible in chapter 1, seven, six straight good. God created. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then the last part of chapter 1, he says, it's very good. He had created man out of dust, in his image. And then in chapter 2, he tells us that God breathed into man life. Image of God, now breath came into man. An Italian director was writing a movie called The Bible, and he wondered how in the world he'd picture creation. God creating man, mankind. And it was a foggy kind of mist. And then the mist began to sort of coagulate, and there was a body on the ground, the creation of man. Now, was that body laying on the ground or lying on the ground? Objects, inanimate objects that are not alive, lay Living things lie. There was this inanimate body created by dust, which was man in chapter 1, but in chapter 2, we can say not that he was laying on the ground inanimate. When God breathed into him through his nostrils, he breathed to him life, and now he is lying on the ground. Alive. And the movie depicted man standing to his own feet. Six, it is good. One, it is very good. And then finally, we see an assignment was given to Adam, to man, to name all the beasts that had been created. 
What an assignment. That idea in heaven, we're going to be strumming on harps or floating around in clouds. God's going to give us wonderful, creative, unperceived, unimagined assignments to carry out for him throughout eternity. What an anticipation, what excitement this must be for all of us. And here was Adam, first man, and God is parading by him animals he had to name. Naming all the animals, all the birds. To name something indicates authority over it. And Adam had given the assignment of being a steward, of being a shepherd, of being one who presided for all of creation. What a magnificent assignment, ladies and gentlemen. And now God says, name the animals, and how quickly did he do it? I think he took his time. The Bible pictures God leading one animal out and Adam looking and praying and searching out the characteristic of that animal, and he finds it's an aardvark. That, that's, and the next animal would come out, and it would be, what will I name this animal? And he named it a hippopotamus. Doesn't a hippopotamus look like a hippopotamus? Good name, isn't it? And God named all the animals, but as the animals were paraded by, Adam didn't see anything that would complete him. He didn't see the other half of himself until he went to sleep and God performed a divine operation. He took a rib out of his side, took that rib and made woman, the rest of man. Man, the rest of woman. Out of his side, not out of his foot, so he would dominate. Not out of his head, so he'd be superior. But out of his side, so there would be equality there. And there would be protection there under his arm. And it would be close to his heart. And there we have the beautiful picture of Adam and Eve. And then we have the first marriage performed. In the Bible, and we have a divine formula for marriage. But marriage is in trouble. Marriage is suspect. The homosexual community has tried to redefine marriage for us. God has already defined it. God invented marriage. God tells us what marriage is all about. But we're worried about it because we know that 50% of all marriages in a divorce. I dare say half of us here have gone through a divorce. And so we know it is a precarious thing. Someone said it's a dangerous institution to be a part of. I remember when I got married a long time ago. I dated my wife six and a half years. And before the ceremony, I remember standing out on the side saying, you know, my friend said this is a good time to run. I didn't know if I wanted to be a part of an institution. And we've made marriage something that the young people look at and say, you know, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. And so they, they live together. They cohabit without being married, thinking, well, this is the way I'll improve upon the family from which I came. We'll have a little a trial period here. What they don't realize is that those who live together before they're married they have a smaller chance of getting married than those who do not. 
and those who live together before they're married, when they do get married, the odds of them being divorced are astronomical. But still, you have 50%. But what we don't know is that so many of these 50% are those who dropped out of school before they were 18, pregnancy was involved, and they got married. And that's the reason, the primary reason, divorce rate is so high. What we don't look at is that when two young people finish their education, come from a home that is intact, and they are genuinely Christians, not, well, he used to go to the Presbyterian church or he was christened or, or whatever, but they're genuinely practicing Christians, and they get married when they're 25 or later, you know what divorce rate is for those in that category? It is microscopic. God's way works. Well, we're frightened about marriage. Man, we say, you know, we, uh, we work on a, a demerit system. We see that for many husbands. I, I pull this out of an old file. It's the wife's demerit system for her husband. Make the bed, plus one, guys. Make the bed, but forget the decorative pillows, minus 10. <laughs> Go out and buy her something she really wants, plus five. In the rain, plus eight. But return with a new set of golf clubs, minus six. <laughs> what about detective duties of a male? You check out a suspicious noise at night, plus one. You check out a suspicious noise and it's nothing. No points for that. <laughs> you check out a suspicious noise and it is something, plus five. You strike something with one of your new golf clubs, plus 10. <laughs> it's her pet schnauzer, minus 30. Social engagements, you stay by her side for the entire party, plus one, guys. <laughs> you stay by her side for a while, but leave to chat with an old school friend, minus two. Her name is Tina, <laughs> minus 10. Your first girlfriend, minus 20. Recently divorced, minus 40. <laughs> a night out, you take her to a movie, plus one. You take her to a chick flick, plus five. You take her to a movie you like, minus two. It's called Rambo Part 7, minus eight. <laughs> Your physique, you develop a pot belly. Minus 15, guys. You develop a pot belly, but exercise to get rid of it, plus 10. You develop a pot belly and have a fantasy for baggy Hawaiian shirts, minus 30. <laughs> the big question she asks, do I look fat? Minus five, guys, just by her asking the question. 
You paused a bit too long before responding, minus 10. You reply, honey, it doesn't matter. I love you just the way you are. Minus 35, it doesn't make any difference. You give any other response, minus 10. When she says, do I look fat? You've lost any way you answer that question. Communication. You listen when she wants to talk about a problem with a concerned expression. Plus two, guys. You listen for over 30 minutes without glancing at the TV. Plus 50. <laughs> you listen for more than 30 minutes without trying to fix it, guys. Plus 500. <laughs> but then she realizes because you've fallen asleep, minus 4,000. <laughs> Who needs this? What, what husband needs this? Would the wife lift the hand? It's a, oh, he needs it desperately? All right. Boy, she was just jumping up and down. This belongs to you, sir. Uh, oh, your wife got it for you. You know, it's amazing, it's a staggering truth that God tells us how to have an exciting, dynamic, fulfilling marriage that sizzles and we have to deal with it before we get married or after we get married, but God's principles work every single time. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that something that's still weird? We don't get it, we don't trigger it, we don't put it in practice. Let's ask the question, if you get married, okay? Marriage is not a requirement. It's not a right that everybody has. There's a lot of magnificent singles in our church who have sublimated marriage and they give themselves to the church and the kingdom in a fabulous way. If we didn't have them, we couldn't open the doors. I'll tell you that. So marriage isn't a right. But if you get married, let me tell you where you begin. You begin with what is a calling of every Christian, and that is to know and to live out the will of God. What is the will of God? I've got to find it. No, the basic will of God is we know Christ, we be saved. Number two, we're in the process of sanctification. We're growing in our faith. Number three, we are serving in the church and serving others. And number four, we're submissive to those we're supposed to be submissive to. When these things are operating in your life, you're in the will of God. And then trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what you're doing. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your life. So you begin, if you're going to be married, it's not a right, but we live in the will of God, and then we discover who we're going to marry if we're single. By the way, I'm just talking to those who are single and married. Everybody else, don't pay any attention. <laughs> Wayne thinks there's another category. Don't let him in on it. <laughs> and so who do you marry? A Christian? A genuine Christian, 
Let's see you married. How in the world any marriage survives when one has this rule book, another this rule book, and this is what I want, this is what I'm about, this is what God would have. How in the world? So you marry a Christian, that first of all. That's the first standard you look for. And then, well, how do you figure out who? Adam went to sleep, remember? And he awakened up, there she is. In a sense, that's what we do. We go to sleep in the will of God and we see what happens. And it happens when what? When we're fulfilling the great commandment. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. And when you love God with your whole heart as best you can, and you learn how to love yourself, that's the hardest challenge for us to do. I talk to myself all that, what an idiot you are. You are a fruit loop. You're crazy. What are you thinking? I mean, I, I, I get mad at number one all the time. I hope you do as well. But we have to learn to love ourselves. And then we love God and we love ourselves. We love our neighbor. And in loving our neighbor, we'll begin to love our closest neighbor. And our closest neighbor will become a friend. And if that friendship catches fire, there is your mate. So we have to work through this process. It's God's process. And the results are magnificent. And then he gives us in the very first marriage ceremony in Genesis chapter 2, the five things that will take any marriage, if you've been married five minutes or 50 years, it makes no difference. Some of you are back there saying, well, you know, I don't know about marriage. It's like that comedian stood up in his opening line as he had a routine on marriage. He said, if you're single, you're lonely. If you're married, you're bored. And a lot of people have bought that lie. Folks, God gave us marriage. It is to be exciting, dynamic, fulfilling, creative, magnificent. And if you think, well, that can't happen to me, it's because you haven't put into practice the basic fundamental steps that makes a dynamic marriage and a marriage that sizzles. Now, if you want to stay like you are, don't pay any attention to it. Just surrender. I'm content just to hang in there and stay with her. I'm going to stay with him through thick and my glory. The law of gravity works, right? You haven't seen any uh, whole law. The laws and the principles of God about marriage work every single time, whatever stage you're in. Let's look at them. First of all, the first reason your marriage is, the first thing you do is you leave. You leave father and mother. A lot of marriages start off in trouble because one or one of the mates holds on to the relationship with the mom or dad or some other, other person. When you get married, you leave those relationships. Not that you don't talk with your parents, you commune with your parents, but they're not your friends, your best friend, your closest friend. You don't share with them all the intimacies of your marriage. You leave father and mother. And a lot of people in marriage haven't done that. Their first allegiance may be to father or mother or brother or sister or a friend or a prior relationship 
When you say, I do, ladies and gentlemen, you leave and your primary direction of your life is devoted to your spouse, to your mate. That's where you start. That's where you start. Say, well, I didn't marry the whole family. Yes, you did. If you think that doesn't work, you married everything about the past, everything about the present and the future of the person that you have taken on your arms. You said, I do. And they said, I will. You married the whole shooting match. Everyone, well, I didn't know I was marrying my mother-in-law. You certainly are. You certainly have. That's the givenness of it. And we have to, to leave. But before we get away from that first principle of making a marriage sizzle, you need to look at two marriages. If you're married now or you're about to get married, begin right now to get things together. Look at two marriages. Number one, look at the marriage of your parents, your father and your mother. I've asked in all the services the question of how many of you look at your parents and you can say, they had a beautiful relationship. Their marriage was fabulous. They loved God. They loved one another. I'll tell you, I look at my parents and they were just perfectly married and perfectly celebrating marriage together. And I asked how many could say that. I could not say that with my mom and dad. But how many could say that? And let me ask that question. How many of you can say that? You look at your parents, you say, boy, their marriage was terrific. You just couldn't improve on it. Would you lift your hand? See, they're very, very few. These are the privileged few. I couldn't lift my hand. These are the privileged few. So what do you do? You start off and you look at the marriage of your parents. And remember something. Let's just deal with the guys, first of all. Your understanding of who you are as a man, your masculinity, was built into you before you were four years of age. Hello? You didn't realize it. And I've looked at my mother and my dad, and I see I got my sense of what a husband and a man is from my father before that, and I wondered why I had such a fiery temper. Something go wrong, I just... I look back and I remember my daddy had that kind of temper. And then I began to ask God to come and help me to deal with that. You see, you can look back and see those inadequacies in your mother, your father, and don't say, I hear people, well, I can't help it. That's just the way my dad or my mother was. Or I was brought up like that. Nonsense. God is the business of changing, recovering. Working through those things, go back and look at your parents and see the female, the male, and so forth, and see if God can heal and forgive and work out some of those things that you see as a liability in your father or your mother. And he will do it. He will do it. That's the first marriage you look at. Look at the marriage of your parents and learn from that and realize that you picked up some of those things. You'd say, well, I'll never be like my mother. Well, hello, you wake up and say, oh, I'm becoming like my mother. <laughs> so look at your home, your parents. I have. You learn from it and God helps you to see that which you need to change. 
that which needs to be rebuilt. And then the second marriage you look at, you look at the marriage relationship of your spouse, their home. See about this, their parents, her parents, his parents. And you'll find that her understanding of what it means to be a wife, to be feminine, came before they were four, didn't even know it. And you look back and see and learn from your mother and see things that were there that you did not like. I remember Joe Best said that her mother punished her one time and she walked out in front of their little house, was sitting on a step there on the curb, and she said out loud, I have the meanest mother in the world, and said to look around, her mother had followed her out and heard every word. <laughs> see, 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 we learn. We go back and look at the home from which our mate comes. We look at our home then we know what to work on and let God work on and heal and forgive and work through and change. You leave. What's the next thing? It says you cleave, you hold on to, you, you grab, you, and that's a picture almost of super glue. You, you cleave to one another. You, you cleave to that love that you have. You have to do that. You have to work on marriage. You know, I, I was married for three months, and we dated all those years, and I woke up one day, and I said, who is this strange woman I've married? You've married a stranger, and nobody is naturally compatible. Don't believe that. There's no such thing as that perfect soulmate. There's not such a person, or I could have only married one person. No, you don't get that from the Bible, and so we cleave. You work at it. So I didn't know you had to work in love. I thought it was just a feeling. No, love is not a feeling. It's an action. And feelings come and go, but a commitment of love and to love and to love. And in marriage, there has to be two things, love and truth. Love by itself is mushy. Can you know about your marriage like that? Truth by itself is harsh. That won't work either. But in marriage, in the cleaving, there has to be truth and love. How in the world can truth and love work together? In the human person, it cannot, but with the Holy Spirit can come and blend truth and love and truth and love together, and it'll help your marriage know how to sing in the clinging process. Remember that divine math? One plus one equals one. And all of a sudden, you are one. You leave and you cleave. You work at marriage every day and you realize it is a, Paul says it, as he deals with marriage in Ephesians 5, as Jesus echoes this in Matthew 11, same opening words of God when he performed that marriage. And he says, marriage is a great mysterion, is a great mystery. Have you discovered that? It really is. That's the part of the glory and the excitement and the thrill and, and the dynamic of it. So you leave, you cleave, guided by the Spirit of God as you're in Christ and you can mix love and truth because you have to have both. You have to have both. It's a process of you becoming real. You know, I, uh, I love this. The Velveteen Rabbit, uh, talking about coming real, uh, the rabbit asks, what is real? 
Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child really loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit? Sometimes, said the skin horse, but he was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? Doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or who have sharp edges or those who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes have dropped out and you got loose joints and are very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. That's what happens in marriage. You leave, you cleave, then you become one flesh. So well, that's just a sexual thing. Oh no, that's part of it. Body to body, yes. Soul to soul, personality to personality, yes. Spirit to spirit, yes. And that, that's the process of cleaving and becoming one flesh. It's a marvelous thing. And that's the reason. What is marriage for? Procreation, be fruitful and multiply. It is for pleasure. And also it is a physical symbol of the relationship you and I have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, in marriage, there has to be operating all the time, repentance and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. Just like in the Lord Jesus Christ, we repent and by his grace, he forgives. In marriage, we repent and there's forgiveness. You have to have those things working. That's the process of becoming one flesh. Leave, cleave, one flesh, repentance and forgiveness operating together. And then, What's the next step? You're naked. Not so much physical nakedness. Certainly that's a part of it. But, you, but you're just vulnerable. You're open. You've exposed yourself. You see, when you get married, you're totally reprogrammed. Did you know that? Somebody's told you all your life, friends, family, parents, teachers, you know, you're just not very smart. And your mate says, you know, you are sharp, and you've got stuff in so many areas. You see, your mate has reprogrammed you. By the same token, if you married somebody in a negative case, heaven help us all. They reprogrammed you, and you say, you know, I've always felt pretty confident, but your mate keeps undercutting you and undercutting you, and you lose your confidence. Your wife, your husband reprograms everyone here. And if you are a negative kind of programmer, change your view. You see, the wife is to be the cheerleader and the husband is to be the one who can be trusted. Trust and cheering, cheering and trusting. And your mate reprograms you. But any prior opinion you had of yourself, any prior affirmation you had of yourself, it is your mate that determines who you really are and who you believe you are. And so in marriage, see, we expose ourselves. We, we're just naked. We're open. We're vulnerable. And therefore, our mate reprograms us. 
hopefully in the finest and the best ways, not just making up stuff, but being honest with us, challenging us, rebuilding us in a, in a wonderful way without trying to change us. If you marry anybody to change them, God helped that person and you are stupid to say I do in the first place. But we do get reprogrammed. This is being naked. That's what marriage is. The mask comes off. And all of a sudden, you see that person as they are. And they see, they see you as you really are. That's the beautiful part of, of being naked, of being open, of being receptive, of being reprogrammed. And the problem is when we see ourselves as we really are, it's like that bridge that has all those little flaws, little microscopic cracks in the bridge and nobody knew it was there until that big old Mack truck came over that little bridge and that Mack truck was so heavy, all those little bitty microscopic flaws were expanded and you saw how weak the bridge really was. That's what happens in marriage. That's the thrill of it, the challenge of it, how God works in it, naked. And then finally, Finally, what's the last thing? There's no shame. Isn't that great to live a life? There's no shame, nothing hidden, no unusual agendas, no undercutting of someone, just no shame. Let me tell you, that'll work wherever you are. It'll work every time. Leave, cleave, one flesh. Naked, no shame. Boy, that marriage will sizzle. If you want your marriage just to stay wherever it is, yeah, you can certainly do it. When I was a boy, polio was epidemic proportions. They found that salt vaccine and nobody, everybody stopped getting polio. What if that were you? You know, I'm not going to take that vaccine. You're not going to use God's principles? If you're 50 years in marriage or five minutes in marriage, how absolutely stupid can someone get? God has a way. God's plan works. Think it through, pray it through, put it into practice, and then come back and say, well, it didn't work for me. You can't find anybody like that. Have the courage and the boldness to do those things. And there's a little operative principle. What do you think the best known verse in the Bible is. Known all over the world, what verse is it? You'll guess and you'll be wrong, but you're happy to guess. What It really is. What verse in the Bible is the best known verse around the world? Somebody said John 3, 16. That's what I said, and I was wrong, and you're wrong. What is it? Somebody said it. Who? Golden rule, that's right. A plus, you'd miss next Sunday, no charge. <laughs> no, no, I need to be here. The golden rule. The golden rule is known in all kinds of cultures, Western, Eastern, all over Southern. It, it, it's just known, a lot of people don't know it's in the Bible. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. By the same token, it's the best known verse in all the world. And I would guess that nobody here has ever heard a sermon preached totally on that verse. I've never preached one on that verse. Isn't it something? 
I don't believe you've ever, you've heard it mentioned. I've mentioned it many times. You've never heard a total sermon on the best known verse in the Bible, all the world completed. How many, be careful, have ever heard a complete sermon on that one verse? Uh, lift your hand. Be careful. I may call on you. <laughs> I've never seen anybody lift their hand. Isn't that something? Because what does the verse mean? Doing to others as you'd have them doing to you. What in the world does that mean? Sounds nice. It means this, simply stated. Whatever you need, that's what you give. That's what it means. In a seminar on marriage, mostly singles, and a dumb thing to do is says, are there any questions? <laughs> a gal raise her hand. Yes, 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 honey. What, what's your question? Uh, I've been married and divorced twice, and I, I need a husband. Where, where do I get a husband? Just stand where I stand and see how you can answer that question. And, you know, I thought, I said, well, uh, why do you want a husband? What do you need? She said, I need someone to cheer for me, to encourage me. It's okay. I said, whatever you need, that's what you give. And when you give that which you need, it'll come back to you like bread on water. Jesus said, you cast your bread on water, it will come back to you, not through that person that you encourage, but probably through someone else. It's one of those principles. It's like the law of gravity. This is a principle, it's a law. Whatever you need, what is that you need? Anybody here, will you need anything? What is your, that is what you give. And when you give that which you need, it will come back to you. And you'll understand maybe in relationship, the genius of marriage. I love Abraham. He got his servant to go out and find a wife for his, his son, Isaac. Isaac means laughter, by the way. That's his name. And I guess he laughed so much he couldn't pick out anybody, so his daddy had to do it for him. And he sent his servant out to find a wife, and this servant goes out to another country, another land, and what a challenge he had. It's tough enough to pick out a mate for yourself, let alone to pick out a mate for somebody else. It's like the old boy in Walgreens was picking up glasses and looking through it and picking up glasses and looking through it. And you know, I said, it's hard to find out which one fits. He said, it really is, particularly when you're picking out glasses for somebody else. <laughs> That's what the servant had to do. Pick out a wife for Isaac. He goes in a country, and there you have all the young girls are watering their camels, rolls and rolls of young girls. That's what they did. The young teenagers watered the camels. And he looks, he said, how in the world am I going to know which one of these girls I'm to pick out for Isaac? And he prayed to God. He said, God, show me. Let me know. And God told him, he said, the one that becomes a servant that goes the extra mile. So he's studying these young girls, not their face or their form or their voice. He just studies these young girls. They're all watering their camels, watering their camels. And finally, one little girl comes to him and says, sir, I see you're a foreigner and you don't know exactly how to water your camels. Let me take your pots and fill the water 
for you. And he said, that's Isaac's wife. You look at the person you'd marry and see, how can I serve? Will I enjoy serving that person? And you look at one another like that, not what I will get, but what I can give and what we can become together. What do you need? What do you need? Whatever you need, that is what you give. And you throw that need out into somebody else, meet somebody else's need in that area, and it will come back to you like bread on water in another wave, not necessarily with that person. It'll come back to you in God's appointed time like bread on water, and that bread will have butter and jelly on it. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Today, Dr. Young, you talked about the importance of vulnerability in a marriage. Tell me, what are some practical ways we can pursue transparency with our spouse? To truly love someone, you have to be transparent. It doesn't mean that you always say what you think, but it means there's an openness about your life a genuineness about your life. In marriage, what happens? Remember divine math? Two become one. And therefore, if you were to become one, you think your right hand has secrets from your left hand? You think that your heart has secrets from your mind? No, there is a wholeness there. And therefore, to keep things in the dark that are going on in your life from your mate, generally is not wise. How beautiful it is to be transparent with your mate as we are transparent before the Lord. I was talking to a man years ago, and uh, I said, you know, let me pray for you. You had a problem. He said, oh, don't pray for me. I don't want God to know where I am. How silly that is. Transparency is one of the basic geniuses of a marriage that's seeing. And somebody who isn't transparent with their mate over a period of time, that gets the marriage in trouble. And that's why we have so many marriages are committed suicide. Their marriages are committing suicide. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Yes, it is. When two become one, that's marriage. When that marriage is broken apart, broken apart through divorce, marriage has committed suicide. To be open and transparent is one of the basic fundamental things for your marriage to make sense, for it to grow, and for it to be the most dynamic, fulfilling relationship anyone can have in a human sense in this world. Thanks, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.